First, imagine you're sitting in the hall of a hospital. There's a nervous dad sitting in the, in, in the waiting room or a nervous soon-to-be dad. And all of a sudden, out of the double doors, busts a nurse and says, it's a beautiful baby girl. I want you to also think about going to your mailbox and opening up the mailbox, taking out a letter that's got some ornate writing on it and has your address. You open it up and it's a wedding announcement from a couple that you thought, man, that, they're so beautiful together. I hope they get married one day. And finally they announce we're getting married. I want you to imagine the 20s and there's a, a newsboy out on the corner with a sack of newspapers yelling, hear ye, hear ye, the war is over. And you see this boy holding the newspaper that says the war is over. Or maybe there's a headline on the news that says, great news, a disease, uh, we found a cure for, the, for this disease, for this problem. All of these things would be good news. And that feeling that you get when there's some kind of announcement of something you've been anticipating for, waiting for, looking forward to, that's the idea of good news or the gospel. That's the idea of the gospel. The, the gospel just means, that's the word gospel is a, a, an English rendering of the idea of good news. In the Greek, you would read that, that phrase as eu angelion, eu angelion, like a eulogy is a good word about somebody as they die. Eu angelion is a good message. You can hear the word angel in there, a messenger, right? Angelion, uh, good news. This is a foundational idea and concept in the Bible throughout all of it. It comes from the Old Testament of the idea of announcing when a king would come back from war, announcing through the streets that he was victorious, and bringing about this good news that the, that the city, that the, the, that the nation had been waiting for. And that's the idea of good news. And that's what we're going to be looking at over these next few uh, months, really, is what is the good news that we're to proclaim? Because you... Church, you, Christian, are supposed to be that nurse busting through the double door saying it's, it's a new baby. You're supposed to be um, that newsboy on the side of the streets announcing that the war is over and that the king is victorious. You're supposed to be that, that announcer. But if we don't know what the message is that we're announcing, it kind of makes it tough to make that announcement in the first place. So um, as I thought about this, this idea of foundations and what we need to know um, as the gospel, there's no better place to look than the book of Romans and no better place to look than the first four verses or four chapters of the book of Romans. So that's what we're going to do over the next 10 weeks or so is look at the first four chapters of Romans to see what it has to say for us because it talks about the gospel. See, the gospel is the central message of Christianity. If we're going to be a Christian church, we need to know what the gospel is. The gospel is the only saving message for the world. So if we're going to reach the world, we need to know what the gospel is. The gospel is the goal of the Bible. So if we're going to be a word-centered church, we need to understand how the Bible fits together and how it teaches this good news. There's nothing more foundational to our existence than the understanding of this message, this gospel message. It's the rock on which we are built. So today we're going to look at this in the, in the book of Romans. We're going to look and see that the gospel is the message of salvation for all people. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17, but really focus on 16 and 17, which is the thesis statement of Romans. So uh, the way we're going to organize the sermon this morning, we're going to look at first the introduction to Romans. Then we're going to look at the introduction to the gospel, the introduction to Romans, and then the introduction to the gospel. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a chunk. 
then talk about it. Read a chunk. Talk about it. Okay. So let's pick up in Romans chapter one, starting in verse one. And it says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the, his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. Exhale. That was one sentence that he just said. We don't, we don't like those long sentences in English, but the Greeks love it. Uh, people who write in Greek love it. And what a sentence that is. Man, that was so intense. Uh, so packed in, there's not one wasted word in that. So as we read this, we see that first it was Paul who wrote it. This is Paul, the apostle. This is the guy that wrote the book of Ephesians that we just studied. This is the guy who at first was a, a passionate Jewish uh, Pharisee who was persecuting the Christian church. But God came along in his life, knocked him off his horse, changed his heart. And, and he became a he was once known as Saul, which would be a Hebrew name. He started going by the name Paul um, that he might relate to the Greek speaking people that he was called to because Paul is the is the Greek version of that word Saul. So he wanted to relate to this group of people called the Gentiles, which brings us to who he's writing to in this book. He's writing to a group of people that are likely made up of a bunch of Gentiles in Rome. So we see there in verse seven, it says to all of those who are in Rome who are loved by God. And called to be seen. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to, to, to tell them why he's thankful, why his, his desire to come to Rome. He said, First, I thank my God, this is verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Asking that somehow by God's will I may know at last, uh, may now at last succeed in coming to you. So Paul had actually never been to these people. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. For I am under obligation both to the Greek and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul, this is a letter Paul sent to the Romans saying, hey, I'm looking forward to come, coming and visiting you. As a matter of fact, if you look at the end of Romans, he tells them, hey, I'm coming to you so that you can help me get to Spain. Paul was in Jerusalem. He was trying to get to Rome so that they could support him spiritually and financially as he made his way west to Spain. So Paul's trying to come to these people, but he talks in this introduction about the gospel. Basically, he's writing a missionary support letter. You've probably gotten one of those before. As a matter of fact, if you were in this church when I was a college student, you got one of those letters that probably said, hey, I'm going overseas. Would you support me and help me to um, go go to China? I went to China as, as a student when I was when I was here as a college student. 
So it's a missionary support letter. Mine that you got for me was probably a half a page and not very eloquently written. When Paul wrote his missionary support letter, it became a book of the Bible because it's the greatest treatise on the gospel that there's ever been. People say that this letter to Rome is the most important letter that's ever been written by humans. The most important letter because it expansively in details, um, in details and gives a lot of details about the gospel and, and what it is. So in this introduction, as he introduces it, he talks about the gospel right off the bat. We can see first that this gospel is ancient. This gospel is ancient. It says in verse 2, it's which was promised beforehand through his prophets and Holy Scripture. The idea of gospel, this good news, is something from the Old Testament, this promise of a Messiah that would come and make things right. So the gospel is ancient. Second, the gospel is for the name of Jesus. We see that in verse 5, that he's talking about the gospel to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. For the sake of his name. The gospel is about Jesus, centered on who Jesus is for the sake of his name, for his glory. And the gospel is for the nations. Among all nations, Paul was a Jew through and through, and he loved his Jewish heritage, but he sees that this message was not just for them, but for all people, to bring about obedience among all nations. And then finally, the gospel is never done being explored. It's ancient, it's for the name of Jesus, it's for all nations, and it's never done being explored. Look at verse 15. It says, Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, when you preach the gospel, who do you preach the gospel to? Well, typically in our minds, we preach the gospel to non-believers, right? If I say, have you shared the gospel lately? Who, do, who am I anticipating you have spoken to? A non-believer, right? But Paul's saying, I want to come preach the gospel to y'all in Rome. The people who he said, you guys are saints, called, you're loved by God. He clearly is talking to these people who are Christians already. And he's saying, I want to come and preach the gospel to you. This means that the gospel is something that we don't get over. I'm calling this year foundations and I'm saying the gospel is the foundation of everything we believe, but it's so much more than just a foundation. It's so much more than just a foundation. It's something you learn in the past and continues to impact you today. It's not, that's not like Christianity 101 and you graduate from it and you put that book on the shelf and you never get it out. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is, it's not just the door you walk through into Christianity. It's the room in which you stand. It's the entire house. It's almost more like the elemental laws of, of physics, right? You think of gravity. Uh, we learn about gravity, and then we kind of move on. We don't think about gravity, but it, gravity impacts everything you do. Like, whether you're driving a car, sitting in the pew, like gravity is impacting you at every moment of every day. It's, it's kind of like this invisible elemental force that's, that's at work all the time. And that's what the gospel is in Christianity. It's not something that we get over and never use. It's not like baby steps. It is everything in which we believe is founded on this, based on this, and held together by this truth. The gospel is so important. So for this reason, Paul's going to spend the next 11 chapters going through an extensive look at the gospel. We're going to just spend uh, time in the first four chapters, but for the next 11 chapters, Paul details this gospel out and out. 
So that's Paul's introduction or his introduction to Romans. That's what he introduces to Romans. But then he's going to introduce this gospel in verse 16. This is where we're going to look at and camp out at. Uh, verse 16, which is, is the thesis statement of Romans. What, what that means, the thesis statement is, if you read this two verses, you understand what the, the rest of the book is supposed to be about. And it says this, Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the, righteous God's, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we see in this passage, this, these few little verses, this thesis statement of Paul, it says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. He says it's the power of God for salvation. He says that he's not ashamed of this gospel, and he grounds that in the fact that it's because it's the power of God for salvation. So this shame that he's talking about in verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the idea of embarrassment or shame from having put your faith in something that didn't turn out. It's misplaced trust is the idea here. It's the idea of, hey, I've made a recommendation and it didn't turn out to be a good recommendation. Have you ever got a recommendation from somebody for a restaurant and they're like, hey, you've got to go to this place. It's so good. Order this. Um, ask for so-and-so to be your waiter. You go and it's just the worst experience you've ever had. Like the, the, the restaurant slow, the food, the steak wasn't cooked right. Um, the shrimp was cold when it got to you. Like whatever it is, uh, that you go to that, that restaurant and it just does not live up to your expectations. Maybe you've been on the flip side of that. That almost feels worse, right? When you said, dude, this is the best place. You need to go here, order this. And then they come back and they're like, dude, that was, that was bad. That was no good. That makes you feel bad, right? You're embarrassed that you made that recommendation. Maybe you've been on, uh, been, been on a phone call where somebody's potential boss calls you and is like, hey, I'm calling uh, in regard to so-and-so. They put you down as a reference. Um, can you tell me a little bit about their character, yada, yada, yada? Maybe you say, man, they're so great. They're, they're, their character's impeccable. I would trust them with my very life. And then a month later, they're, they're in trouble for embezzling money from the company. I don't maybe that's never happened to you. It's never happened to me. But wouldn't you be embarrassed had you made that recommendation? What Paul's saying here is he's made a recommendation. He has preached the gospel to people. He said, hey, this is the power of God for salvation. And he's not ashamed of it. He knows that as he preaches this gospel, it's not going to turn out void or empty or not impact people's life. He trusts and he knows that. That he doesn't have misplaced trust in this gospel. He's not ashamed of it. He has no reason to be embarrassed of it. I think if we went through that experience of recommending a restaurant or a person that didn't turn out to be what we recommended, it would make us hesitant to make that recommendation again, right? We might be embarrassed or ashamed. And there's a lot of reasons why we might be embarrassed of the gospel. There might be reasons we don't want to share the gospel. Maybe it just sounds too crazy or, or, or fantastical for us to share. Maybe it just makes us, if I talk about this message, um, people are going to think I'm crazy. People are going to think I'm a religious fanatic. People are going to think that I'm just going to reflect on me poorly. Uh, maybe you're ashamed of it because you don't know it. 
Uh, meaning, like, I, I don't feel comfortable sharing the gospel because I just don't really know what to say. Um, there can be lots of reasons why we might be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, don't be ashamed of it. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. If you want to see people come to know the Lord and to have their lives turned around, this is the only message there is. There is no other message for you to share but this, because it is the power of God for salvation. This is the place. This is the message to go to. There's no other options. There's no other gurus. There's no other religions. There's no other uh, place for you to go than to get the true power of God for salvation. But notice what he says. He says that the gospel's the power of God for salvation, but he also says the gospel's for all people who believe. The gospel is the most inclusive, exclusive religion there is. And here's what I mean by that. Um, you can look at religions. You can put them kind of on two, um, two scales, right? On one side, you have inclusive religions that basically say, here's this set of rules um, that we follow, but if you don't want to follow them, not a big deal. You can still kind of be included in our religion, even if you don't practice our religion. Then on the other side, there's exclusive religions that would say, here's the door, here, here's the high, here's the, here's this, my way or the highway. It's this way or no other way, and you can't be included in it if you don't follow this. Christianity takes both of those and pulls them together to say this. There is no kind of person that's left out of this gospel. Every single kind of person, no matter if you're uh, male or female, rich or poor, white or black, Jew or Gentile, it does not matter. Anybody can be part of this religion. Anybody can be. There's no, there's no um, prerequisites for coming. It's open to everybody. It's not for perfect people. It's not saying you have to be perfect before you come in. It is inclusive of all people, yet it's inclusive of all people who believe, those people who have trusted in Christ. And that is open to anybody. Again, belief is not something that's so difficult that no, somebody can't do. Anybody can believe. A child can believe. That's why Jesus says, let your children come to me because unless you have faith like them, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Even a child can understand the gospel and believe in it. it, it it's the, in some sense, you could say it's the lowest bar there is as far as entry into uh, this club or this, this faith. All you have to do is believe and trust. The gospel is for all people. And notice how he says it. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. This phrase right here was one of those phrases that would offend everybody listening, or at least humble everybody that was listening, because he said, first to the Jew. Think, if you're a Gentile and you heard that, wouldn't you feel kind of like, what well, am I second rate here? Am I in my cut rate? Am I not like on the first shelf? Um, because Paul's making the point that this salvation, this, this message was first given to those in the Old Testament. God's chosen people, the Jewish people, and it was carried through them. And th from them came the Messiah, as he says later on in Romans. Um, this Jewish people is the, the vehicle through which God brought about his plan for salvation. So, yes, the, the salvation was to them first. Yet, he also says to the Greek as well, to the Gentile as well. So the Jews who had this idea, who, who became in some sense xenophobic, they were only focused on themselves for them to hear. And also to the Greek would be like, hey, I thought this was our religion. I thought this was our thing, not theirs. 
So Paul puts this beautiful phrase of it's, it's for all people, first to the Jew, then to the Greek, to remind both sets of people that would be in this church. We need to be humble when we come to this gospel because it's not just for Jewish people, not just for one ethnicity, even though that ethnicity was used to bring about this message, but everybody gets to be brought in. And those Gentiles, in some sense, are getting brought in by the skin of your teeth, if you will. You're, you, you're, you're brought in, you're grafted into this root, as Paul says later. So this, this gospel message, this message that salvation from God is available for all people who believe, all people who believe. Third, the, the gospel reveals and gives God's righteous character. The gospel reveals and gives God's righteous character. If you look at that, verse 17, it says, For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The idea of righteousness is this idea from the Old Testament of God's faithfulness. His righteousness referred to his faithfulness, his faithful character, his unchanging character. And when you look at the gospel and you examine the gospel and and look at the elements of it, you realize you get to know and understand the author of the gospel. As you read a book, you understand the author of the book. If you if you read a um, if you watch a movie, you kind of get a glimpse into the, the director or the writer of that movie's idea you get to step into their mind any movie that you've loved in the past maybe you've said i want to watch the making of that movie because i i kind of want to know more about it so you go behind the scenes and you watch that documentary that's made and you get to hear the director talk and as that director talks and, and explains we did this in the movie because of this and i like this you, you start to see man the fingerprints of that director are all over that movie like you, that is 100% a Steven Spielberg movie, or that, that's 100% a, a um, Martin Scorsese movie. That, that you can see the fingerprints of the director all over the movie, and in the gospel, you get to see the fingerprints of God all over it. As you think about the gospel and what it tells us, you get to see all kinds of characteristics of God. In the gospel, we see his compassion. As he looks on a helpless and hopeless humanity, he responds in love. We see his patience as for years and years and millennia, he passed over sins that he might show kindness to those in Christ. We see his grace as we realize that we've done nothing to earn this, but it's all from God and his favor. We see his humility as God the Son himself steps into creation. We see his justice as he brings down a wrathful punishment on his Son who stepped into creation. We see his eternal power as he rises from the death and vic- from, de- from the dead in victory. And we see his wisdom as he creates a pathway for people of all the earth to be united under one roof, and that is the church. The gospel is a message that is an extension of who God is. If you know the gospel and understand the workings of this message, you understand the God who created it. The gospel is an extension of God. So by, by examining the gospel, we see God's character. And by believing the gospel, we receive God's character. Romans uses this term justification in, the, in it a lot. Justification just means right standing with God. It means just if I had never sinned. That's how you could say it, justified. Just if I had never sinned. It's a right standing. And those who trust in Christ have a right standing with God. So the moment someone believes, boom, they are made right with God. And then from there, he starts the process of conforming them and molding them and shaping them into the image of his son. 
So the gospel reveals and gives God's righteous character. And finally, the gospel is received and applied to those who have faith. It uses the phrase from faith for faith. It's a really hard phrase to to decipher and understand what it means. But I think what it means is just faith all the way down. God has always interacted with his people by grace through faith. Now, you might think, well, wasn't the the Old Testament was by law and now the New Testament's by grace and and through faith. But that is absolutely not the case, as we're going to see. God first interacted with people by faith and he said, hey, you can have all this stuff. Just don't do this one thing. Believe that thing and, and you'll be saved. He goes on and interacts with with Abraham saying, you're going to become a great nation. And how did how did Abraham become righteous? He believed it was credited him as faith. Faith came first. And even within the law, as God gave the law to the, the Jews of the Old Testament, as they followed that law, it was meant to be by faith. It ended up being turned into works, but it was meant to given to them by faith. So faith is the way that God interacts with us. He doesn't ask you to jump through hoops. He doesn't say, get right, then come to me. He says, come to me and I'll help you get right. There's no hoops that he wants you to jump through. There's no, there's no entrance exam that he wants to give to you. He just wants you to come to him in faith. But what does faith look like? A lot of times it looks more like surrender than anything else. It's a letting go and letting God. It's trusting in him. And faith is not just a one-time decision that we make, not just a let me write my name on this card and get my pencil and my eraser and I'm, I'm good to go. No, faith is not just a one-time decision, but a lifetime commitment. Maybe some of you have like in the past, you've been to church camp or you've sat through a, a church revival or been in some kind of meeting um, where there's this this. Um, an invitation. And one of those, the things people would invite people to come say, Hey, come. If you want to receive Jesus as your savior, come. If you'd like to recommit your life to the Lord, come. And that's something that I had done. I've done both those things, right? I'd responded to an, a gospel call to receive salvation. Then later on in my life, as I felt like not as committed to the Lord, there's this, this idea of, Hey, come recommit. And I, I went, I wanted to recommit my life. Right. But I think that idea of recommit to the Lord I don't think that should be like a category of this is a decision you make at a revival. That's a decision you make when you wake up in the morning. That is a decision you have to make every single day. You have to wake up every day of your life to say, I'm recommitting my life to the Lord in this moment. I cannot go through this day without having faith in Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live But Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live our life through faith. That's what this says at the end of verse 17. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith overtakes every area of your life. You trust God every day of your life. You retrust this gospel through faith. So in this introduction, we see that the gospel is the message of salvation, and it's for all people. It came first through the Jews, but now is available to Gentiles. And those who would receive it understand God's righteousness. They receive God's righteousness through faith in him. And that's the introduction to Romans. I want to challenge you over the next few weeks to take up the book of Romans and read the first four chapters. 
Um, read the first four chapters. Maybe you say, I'm going to read a chapter a day between now and next week. Just so you can start to get your mind wrapped around what it is that we're going to be seeing in the book of Romans.